0: Good morning, guys. Good to see you all here. Um, Isn't it cold? Is it cold in here this morning? Is it cold? It seems really cold. It's really cold. Sorry. Ah, It's really cold. There is, there's nothing like a real fire, is there? Use your imagination. Pretend we have safety rules here. But there's nothing like a fire. You know what I like about fires? They're so inviting and welcoming, aren't they? I remember when uh, we were in the UK, we were walking on the Malvern Hills, which is on the west coast of England, and the Malvern Hills, it was a beautiful sunny day, you could see for miles, and as what normally happens in the UK is, ten minutes later, it's pouring down with rain, and the wind is howling on top of these hills, and so for two hours, Linda and I hiked to this nearest settlement, And at this settlement, there were only two things, a church and a pub. Linda and I went to the pub. And in the pub, it was called the Nags Head, I remember it. And in this pub, as we walked in, cold and shivering, there was this huge open fireplace. And this fire, this roaring fire, and there were two armchairs. Sitting there, And so we went and sat down. It was the most welcoming and inviting thing we could have seen at that time. Ah, fire. Ah. But the interesting thing about fires is that on, on the one hand, they can be really welcoming and inviting. But, you know, they could be absolutely terrifying. As well, I distinctly remember it was my son Sam's eleventh birthday, and Bethany, our youngest, who was about eight at the time. Um, unfortunately, the night before, we had just seen Great Expectations, that Dickens movie. Now, if you know the story of Great Expectations, there's a fire. I won't give too much away, but someone dies in this fire, and it's it starts from a candle falling over. And so as we started to light Sam's birthday cake, I saw the color drain out of Bethany's face. And all of a sudden, she had the most severe panic attack I have ever seen in a child, so much so that we had to leave Sam's birthday and take her to um, Children's Hospital Emergency she couldn't calm down. She was terrified of the fire. Huh. Fire. Welcoming and inviting, and yet powerful and terrifying. Huh. Well, I suppose we ought to get on. We have so much to get through this morning. It's great to have you with us. Uh, Some of us are looking older this morning. Uh, I'm not going to embarrass her, but Kirsten, happy birthday. (laughs) And I'm not going to say what birthday it is, apart from that it ends in a zero. 30, I think you look great. Uh, yeah, so it's great to see you here. Um, for the last two weeks, what have we been doing the last two weeks? Well, we had this fire. I've got to put the fire on. Oh, isn't that lovely? Uh, for the last two weeks, we've been camped in ancient Egypt. We have been witnessing the beginnings of an amazing story. It's an adventure story with more action than Indiana Jones. It's a thriller with more twists and turns than Hitchcock. But actually, it's a story about God. It's a story about God and his faithfulness and his power and his compassion. It's a story about a people trapped in slavery, trapped in despair. And ultimately, through the grace of God, it's a story about their journey to freedom. Which makes it so relevant for us here at City View. Who would have thought? Because we can focus on our word for 2020, which is freedom. How cool is that? And this story is found in the book of Exodus, which is the second part of a larger story called the Pentateuch. Say Pentateuch. Yeah, you're getting it. so, what's been happening in the story so far, Trevor? Well, calm down and I'll tell you. In the last uh, two chapters, the first two chapters that we looked at, we found the Hebrew people. They're under slavery, harsh slavery in a hostile land where the king is hell bent on genocide. He's a bully. And like most bullies, his behavior is fueled by fear. He's so afraid of these people, their their customs and their ways, that he wants to wipe them out. And he wants to wipe them out by killing all the newborn baby boys and breeding the Hebrew girls with the Egyptian men. But he comes up against a mighty army. Two midwives, a wife, a sister, and his own daughter. And because of them, and through a series of miraculous coincidences, a Hebrew baby boy, Moses, is born and survives. And he's brought up under the nose of Pharaoh in his palace. But then, as we saw last week, a grown-up, hot-tempered Moses tries to protect one of his own, a Hebrew. And in the process, he kills an Egyptian man, and buries him in the sand. And so he has to flee. He has to flee for his life. And he ends up in the middle of nowhere, just outside of Chilliwack. And he finds a wife and has kids and lots and lots and lots and lots of sheep. I guess that's what happens in Chilliwag. So that's the end of the story. No, it's just the beginning. And so we come to chapter three and a fire in the desert that is both welcoming and terrifying. I want you to turn to chapter 3. We're going to read the whole chapter in a minute. And the reason why we're doing that is because I want you to know that I'm not making anything up. Uh, But even if you have no background in church, you'll be somewhat familiar with this story. Moses and the burning bush. Even our spin teacher on Friday knew about Moses and the burning bush. He said, what are you preaching on on Sunday, Trevor? I said, there's Moses and the burning bush. Oh, I know that one. The irony is, though, that this bush isn't actually burning. Uh, It's on fire, but it's not being consumed. That's neither here nor there. I haven't got the time to go into that this morning. But up till now, God has been in the background of this story. We've been watching God working things out in secret, behind the scenes. He's not spoken. He's not revealed himself until now. And now he enters, stage right, in the most dramatic fashion. And we're going to read the the whole chapter. Uh, Let's do that now. Let's do that now. Chapter 3. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God, There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it didn't burn up. So he thought, you know what? I think I'll go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush doesn't seem to be burning up. And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Don't come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians. And to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land. A land flowing with milk and honey. And now the cry of Israelites has reached me. And I've sinned the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people to the Israelites out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I'll be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Well, then Moses said, well, now, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, well, what's his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you, sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. Go, assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I've watched over you and seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I've promised to bring you out of your misery in Egypt, a land flowing with milk and honey. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I'm going to stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he'll let you go. And I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed towards this people so that when you leave, you will not go empty handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing which you will put on your sons and daughters, and so you will plunder the Egyptians. There's a lot going on here in this text, and in fact what I'm actually going to do is I'm going to split up this story into two. Uh, Next week uh, we're going to look at chapter 4, which is Moses' response But here's what we're going to do this morning. You see, this chapter is revealing who God is. It's God revealing who he is and his plan. So today we're going to focus on what he reveals about himself. Who our God is. And we're going to introduce two theological terms. I think you've got Pentateuch now. So you've got that down. So that's great. So I'm going to give you two more. We're going to step it up a bit. And uh, we're going to see in this text that God is transcendent and God is imminent. Transcendent means God is bigger. He's more than. He's above us. Immanent means uh, he's among us and he is with us transcendent and imminent. So there's an all-powerful, mighty God who actually happens to be among us. And what I want to do this morning quickly is, with the help of this text, is to flesh out those terms, those two terms. What it means that God is transcendent and what it means that God is imminent. And then I want to look at what difference it makes to us. And here's where I want to finish. Here's where I want to get to this morning. This is my aim. Let me see if I can hit it. I want to show you that the freedom to live the life that we are born to live in Christ is experienced when we truly understand and hold these two characters of God in perfect tension. Okay? That's where I'm going. That's where I'm... I'm (laughs) trying to um, aim at this morning. Let's see if we can get there. All right, are we ready? On your marks, get set, go. Okay, so verse 1. Verse 1 says Moses was tending the flock. So um, we have Moses in the desert, looking after his father-in-law's sheep. He's miles away from home, and we're told he's in the wilderness. Can I suggest that he's in the wilderness, not just geographically, not just physically, But he's in the wilderness emotionally, spiritually. He's wandering. He's drifting along in life. You see, from the end of chapter 2 to the beginning of chapter 3 is about 40 years. So it's been about 40 years since Moses fled Egypt into the desert. You can uh, verify that in Acts 7. uh, the, The apostle Stephen Uh, Stephen, the disciple Stephen, was uh, uh, the one who says this. And during that 40 years, what has happened in Moses' life? Well, obviously nothing worthwhile, because nothing's written down about it. I mean, let's be honest, he's led a pretty insignificant, mundane life. You know, it's the same old, same old. Get up, count the sheep, feed the sheep, count the sheep again, go to bed. That's his life for 40 years. It's a far cry from his life in Egypt, living in the palace. But notice that it's here in the wilderness that God speaks to him. This isn't part of the message this morning. You can have this for free. This isn't what I was going to say. But can I just say quickly that if you are wandering right now, if you're drifting through life, If you're stuck in your own wilderness with nothing but sheep around you, don't give up. Don't give up. God's still there. And what you find as you look through scripture, that very often something quite remarkable happens in the wilderness. And maybe that's why you're there right now. So, well, what happens to Moses whilst he's uh, looking after the sheep? Good question. Well, we're, we're told that he sees a bush on fire in the distance, and he thinks, you know what, I think I better check this out. And so as he gets closer to it, he hears a voice calling his name. Now, I guess if you've been alone for a number of weeks with just sheep, you might start hearing voices, and you might think, oh, it's one of the sheep talking to me. No, this isn't babe, but uh, it's God. And he says, take off your shoes, Moses, because at the moment, you are standing on the holiest ground on earth. And Moses does what I think most of us would do when we realize we're actually face to face with God. We throw ourselves to the ground and look away. And God begins to tell him why he's appeared and what is going to happen. We're going to get back to that in a minute. But Moses asked the question, when I go to the people you've told me to go to, who should I say sent me? You know, it would be really helpful to have a name, you know, a bit of a reference to go back to, you know, I was on the phone to my bank the other day and and the person on there was telling me I could do this and I can do that with my account. And I said, look, I know, could I have your name? Because if I need to go back a, a later day, I need to know who I've been speaking to. And it's a bit like that with Moses. Just, just give me a name. Who, who am I talking to? And then God gives perhaps one of the greatest answers in the whole of history. He says, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you. Now, hang on a minute. Put yourself in Moses' shoes. This is not incredibly helpful. But in a wonderfully profound way, It says everything that Moses needed to know. What is I am who I am? Well, this is where we get into that word. Transcendent. Transcendent. God is transcendent. What does that mean? Now, as I've studied this over the past couple of weeks... I actually think a better translation of I am who I am is, I be who I be. That sounds a bit like the Pigeon Bible, doesn't it? I be who I be. God is saying, I have been who I've always been. I will be who I be today. And I will be who I be tomorrow. I am who I am. I am not shaped. I'm not molded. I'm not defined by anything or anyone else. I am perfect. I am perfectly good. I am perfectly fair. I am perfectly loving. I be who I be. Now, if I said that to you this morning... That was me. I'm perfect. I'm perfectly good. I'm perfectly loving. I just am who I am. You would sit there and think, oh flipping egg. That Trevor he's an arrogant so and so, isn't he? <laughs> but listen, God can say it because he's God. This is God being transcendent he is above everything he is beyond everything he is absolute he absolutely is he be who he be now let me expand on this for you a little bit by declaring I am who I am this is what God is saying a bit of a warning here this could get very messy because most of your minds are going to explode as I go through this, don't make too much of a mess on the carpet. I am. What does it mean? I am means God never had a beginning. This staggers the mind. It's the parent's worst nightmare. Little Johnny comes to you and says, uh, "Mummy, who made the trees?" Oh, God made them. Mummy, who who made the stars in the sky? Oh, God made the stars in the sky. Mummy, who made the animals and the flowers and the plants? Oh, God made the animals and the flowers and the plants. Mummy, who made who made human beings? Oh, well, God made human beings. And then you know it's coming. Mummy, then who made God? Hey! And any wise parent would say to their child, go and ask your pastor. No, it's said nobody made God. God simply is and always was. No beginning. I am means God never has an end. If he did not come into being, then he cannot go out of being. Because he is being. He is what is. There's no place to go outside of being. There's only he. Before he creates, that's all that is. God. No beginning and no end. I am means God is absolute reality. There's no reality before him. There's no reality outside of him unless he wills it and makes it. He's not one of the many realities before he creates. He's simply there, an absolute reality. No space, no universe, no emptiness. Only God, absolutely there, absolutely all. I am means God is utterly independent. He depends on nothing to bring him into being or to support him or counsel him or make him what he is. God does not depend on anything or anyone. I am means God is constant. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. God cannot be improved. He's not becoming anything. He is who he is. There's no development in God. No one comes alongside God and saying, okay, let's go through your work performance. Yeah, you're doing well here, doing well here. You're not doing so well on here. Maybe we should get some improvement out of you here. No. No progress. Absolute perfection cannot be improved. I am means God does what he pleases. And what he does is always right. Always beautiful and always in accord with truth. This is I am. This is what it means for God to be transcendent. That's why we can't actually define God. You see, in our world, in our culture, we have trouble grasping this idea about God because we have this tendency to want to define everything ourselves so that we understand it. So we believe it's almost our right to define who God should be. So this is what you hear people say. You hear people say, well, I don't think God would do that. Or, well, surely if there was a God, he would do this. Or, I can't believe in a God who would do that. See, what we're doing is molding God in our own image. It's us constructing our idea of who God is and what he should be doing. Just think about it for a minute. How insane is that? You listen to me, God. I can tell you a thing or two. (laughs) I've been around the block. Let me tell you how, how things work around here. You see, here's the thing about a transcendent God. He defines himself. We don't get to define God. God defines God. That's why we can't pick God up and place him in our little box and walk we'll, Or, you know, like you see these people at Yale Town. Hopefully, no one's from Yale Town and you haven't got little dogs. But you see all these women so carrying, their, carrying their little poodle around with them. And I feel as though we do that with God sometimes. We pick him up and think, oh yeah, he's our little God. No. He's transcendent. He's way, way above all of that. And this is exactly what God is doing here to Moses. He's defining who he is. He says to Moses, you want to know who you're speaking to? I am. Okay? Clear? Off you go. And God then goes on to illustrate his transcendence by telling Moses exactly what's going to happen. If you look at verses 18 to 20, he says, look, here's what's going to happen. You're going to go to the elders of Israel. You're going to tell them this, and they will believe you. And then you'll go to Pharaoh, and you'll tell him this, and he won't believe you. So I'm going to flex my muscles. I'm going to outstretch my mighty hand and I will undo him. I'll destroy Pharaoh, and you'll be set free. That's what's going to happen. Notice God never says, you know, I might do that. I haven't decided yet. Ooh, what shall I do? He doesn't say, you know, if, oh, if, if this happens, then this might happen. No. He knows He doesn't use that language. He knows. The I am is outside of time. He knows. The reason he's able to tell Moses this is what's going to go down is not because he has some vague view of the future and is sort of hoping it all kind of turns out the right way. He knows. He's already there. This will happen. I am who I am. Isn't it good to know in all the uncertainty we face at the moment with war and viruses and everything else, there's someone who knows what's going on? Isn't it good? What we're going to see over the next few weeks is a battle. A war is about to break out between two I Am's. I am Pharaoh. I'm the most powerful man on earth. I lead the most effective, efficient, brilliant nation that the world to this point in history has ever seen. I command armies and legions. We are more advanced than anyone else on earth. I am Pharaoh. And that I am goes against the great I. And spoiler alert, there's only going to be one winner. This is what you and I need to know this morning God is transcendent. He's above everything, He's above every name, every nation, every power. He's above the US, He's above Iran. He's above North Korea. He's above the past. He's above the present. And he's above the future. He's above you and me. He's above your fears. He's above your doubts. He's above your children. He's above their future. He's above your health. He's above your finances. Do you get it? I am who I am is all-powerful, almighty, all-knowing, and he can be trusted totally to keep his promises. What he says is true, and what he says will come to pass. When that hit me in Starbucks last Friday, I literally let out an audible hallelujah, and everyone looked at me, and I pretended I'd sneezed. Ooh. So, tight. That's amazing. It's amazing. Let me do imminence. I, I, I need to do imminence. Are you ready? This is going to be quick. This is a lot quicker. The, this all-powerful, mighty, transcendent God, the I am who I am, I be who I be, is not just terrifying, he's inviting. He's not just above us, He's among us. In fact, look at verse 7. It says, Then the Lord said, I've surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. This transcendent God, God of the universe, sovereign king of glory, also sees, hears, knows, and has come down. He's among us. He is with us. We looked at this at the Christmas carol service, those of you who are here. Jesus. God incarnate, God in the flesh, would come and be called Emmanuel, which means literally God with us. John tells us the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. God chose to be with us in the everyday of life. He chose to be with us as a vulnerable child. He chose to be with us as someone who worked and had friends and dealt with family relationships. He chose to be with us as someone who experienced pain and grief and loneliness. He's not some distant God. He's Emmanuel. He's Emmanuel. He is the with us God. He's the with us God in all of our joys. And he's in the with us God in all of our pain and suffering and sadness. You see, God isn't like that. You know, remember the dad in Mary Poppins? The first Mary Poppins, not the recent one. That was no good. The original Mary Poppins. Remember the dad who would sort of come in from work and the nanny would have got the kids ready for bed and he would sort of look at them and say, oh yes, very good, run along children. That's not a distant God. Ours is not a distant God. Our God, transcendent and imminent. Now, each one of these on their own is amazing. But hold them together and they become mind-blowing and life-changing. To grasp both of these, to hold both of these in tension is distinctly Christian. See, there are plenty of monotheistic religions that would have God as transcendent, but not necessarily imminent. And the, some Eastern religions are going to have God imminent, but not necessarily transcendent. And if we try to have one without the other, we actually create problems. See, if God is only transcendent, if he's just almighty, all-powerful, and he's above everything and to do whatever he wants, and he's the beginning and the end, but he's not a God who's among us. Well, you know what? We could believe in him, and we could certainly fear him. It wouldn't make a jot of difference to our everyday lives because he doesn't see. He doesn't know. he, He hasn't come down. He doesn't care about his creation. He's that distant father figure. But on the other side of the pendulum, if God were only immanent and not transcendent, then God is everywhere and in everything. He's in this chair. God is the chair. And if I sit on the chair, then God and I are one, together. It's like a 60s loving, you know, where we're all sitting around on the floor cross legged with. And God comes and sits with us and smokes weed with us. And, you know, and it's, um, no, that's, immanence gone too far. You're not God. Your dog is not God. The tree is not God. God is God. You see, if you land too far on the imminent side and forget his uh, transcendence, You more than likely have a t-shirt that says Jesus is my homeboy. And he's just your imaginary friend. He's kind and he's with us, but can't do anything. That's why we need to hold our transcendent God and our imminent God together. Hold them in tension. And here's the kicker. It's taken us a while to get there. But if we want to experience the freedom to be who we're created to be, we must hold together that idea of God being both inviting and terrifying. How? Well, by holding both of these together, it will help us know who we are. We'll find our identity and our freedom in him. You see, we can be free from trying to be in control. Anyone like to feel in control of their life? You know, we can find um, that feeling of of it all depends on me. You know, this life, my future, my kids' future, my job situation. <coughs> I have to sort them all out. I have to be in control of them all. It frees us from that. And God's saying, listen Trevor, you don't need to be in control. Why? Because actually you're not in control. The transcendent God is in control. He's above me. He's beyond me. He's above my situation, beyond my situation. I don't have to be in control because he is. And what that gives me, when I actually understand that, I can just go, oh, thank goodness. I can relax. I can rest in him because I know he's with me. I know, he knows me and everything about me and he cares for me. And he's working out his purposes in and through me. And grasping both the transcendency of God and the imminency of God will free us from fear and worry and anxiety. I don't know the future. I don't. You know, I, yeah, shall I tell you this? Yeah, I'll tell you this. <coughs> I've been having some really morbid thoughts recently. I don't know why. I just feel as though I was saying to Linda, I, I may only have 20 years left to live. And that might seem a long time. But I think I've only got 20 years what am I going to do in my life in that 20 years if that's all I've got left? And I'm starting to panic about it. We've got to pay off the mortgage. It's the first thing. (laughs) Can't do anything if we've got the mortgage. And I'm starting to worry about it. I don't know the future, but it's actually okay because he does. And it's okay because I'm with him and he's with me. He knows the future, so I don't need to fear. All I need to do is be the person that he's created me to be, to trust in him and to be obedient to him. You know what, guys? Just ponder on that this week. And I pray as it seeps into your hearts and minds and soul that you'll experience joy and freedom and release from worry and anxiety. Ah. Inviting, welcoming, and yet terrifying and powerful. I pray that you will experience and know. I don't normally do this, and I'm going to do it because it's a year of freedom. Can I... I really believe there are people here along with me that have some sense of anxiety or fear about the future. Um, and if that's you, I'm, I'm just going to ask you to, uh, to stand where you are. Everyone else who's got their eyes closed, it doesn't matter. You don't need to know the whole story. But if you have a fear or an anxiety or a worry... About what's going to happen in the future. And you just stand. Father, thank you. Thank you that you know our hearts. Father, thank you that you know our fears and anxieties and worries. Father, I pray for those of us who are standing here right now. Would you reassure us that you are the great I am? Would you reassure us that you are all-knowing, all-powerful, almighty? You were there at the beginning and you'll be there at the end. You're above everything, and you're above our worries and our fears and our our anxiety. Father, would you make that, take that from our minds into our hearts right now so we know that? And Lord, for those of us who are feeling as though you're distant from us at the moment, Father, would you come and reveal yourself as uh, Emmanuel, God with us today? Help us to know that you understand. That you care. And that you love us so much. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Bless you, God. Bless you, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for who you are who you be.